0: All right, let's get into it. This morning, we are going to be talking about managing disappointment, okay? I need you to hear me. When we begin to talk about managing disappointment, I know this is going to be easy for us to think, well, wait a minute, we don't manage things, but I don't want you to think of managing as in putting up with. I want you to think of managing as a Effectively dealing with, okay? So if you need to, for those of you who are religious purists, if you need to change this message title, I'm cool with that. You can change it to effectively dealing with disappointment, okay? But when I was studying this, the word that came to me was managing, managing disappointment, okay? So this morning, we are coming together to dive into this topic that I don't think the church spends enough time really talking about even though I believe that it deeply touches every single soul that's on this broadcast this morning. And that, my brothers and sisters, is an undeniable reality that every single one of us, at some point in our life, will face disappointment. Now, as your pastor, I truly believe that I am anointed and called for such a time as this. I'm not bragging. I'm not being braggadocious. But I am telling you, I am anointed to teach this. And I believe with everything in me that you are anointed to hear it and to learn it and to walk it out. I'm telling you, I can feel it in my spirit that I am supposed to bring this topic to you this morning. I believe it so strongly that no matter what I had going on in my personal life this week, I was going to teach this message. I was going to get this message to you because I believe it will be a catalyst for you to be able to break out of some of the things the enemy wants to keep you in bondage over. Now, some of you might be sitting there this morning thinking to yourself, as I said earlier, saying, Pastor, why in the world should we be focusing our hearts and our minds, our time and our energy on learning how to manage disappointment? Well, let me tell you why. And I want to make it really simple and I want to make it really plain. Because our journey of faith, when we talk about being in faith, when we talk about being believers, when we talk about being mature, it isn't just about shouting on the mountaintops of of, of every victory that we have. Okay, Faith isn't just about shouting about about the good times. It's not about just dancing and, and, and being jubilant in the moments of unspeakable joy. Everybody can be happy when something good goes for them, Everybody can shout the victory once you see it manifested, but our faith, our mature faith has to be more than that. The maturing of our faith is equally, and hear me when I say this, it is equally about how we march through the valleys and you will have some valleys in your life. You will have some some low points in your life. I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how much you serve. I don't care how much you give. I don't care how much you fast. There will be times in your human existence in which your heart will be disappointed, in which your mind may be overwhelmed. But those are the times that when our dreams, our desires, and our destinies seem to hit a pause, that we have to learn to manage our emotions. We have to learn how to get up when our lives get entangled. We have to learn how to push through effectively, still believing God, even when our expectations don't quite line up with what we believe was supposed to happen. I'm telling you this morning, disappointment is a tactic of the enemy. And we have to make sure that when we are on the road of disappointment, and we all will find ourselves there at some point, we have to walk down that road And we have to walk down that road, understanding that we're not going to be able to escape the disappointment, but we absolutely can manage it. Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear when I say this. Each and every step on that road of disappointment is shaping our faith. You hear me? Disappointment has got to be something that you're able to look at and understand that God doesn't bring you disappointment. But he will absolutely use disappointment as a tool to strengthen your faith. He will use it as a tool to build your character. He will use it as a tool to give you a clear vision of his perfect plan for your life. You do not have to be afraid of disappointment, but you do have to learn how to manage it. And when we learn to handle and when we learn to manage disappointment effectively, we aren't just living in existence where we're just scraping by. We begin to thrive. We begin to live a life to its full in abundance. We begin to experience that John 10 and 10 life where he says, I would that you would have a life and that you would have it to the full until it overflows. And then we begin to draw nearer and nearer to God because disappointment doesn't make us run from God. It makes us run to God when we understand how to manage it effectively. And if we learn to manage this disappointment appropriately, I am telling you that the things that you will experience in 2024 will not derail you. So this morning, we are starting off on a transformative journey this morning. Together, we're going to learn how to face life's disappointments, not with bitterness, or with a heavy heart, or with despair. But we're going to learn how to focus and overcome disappointment while we are clothed in grace, while we are filled with wisdom and standing strong in unwavering faith. As we get started this morning, I got a declaration that I think I put uh, there in the in the uh, studio. I want you to declare this declaration with me this morning. And, And when you do it, I don't want you to just read it. I want you to read it. But then I need you to say it. I, I need your I need your ears to hear it. I mean, I need your your yeah. I need your ears to hear it. I need your eyes to see it, and I need your mouth to say it. And that is, I will not. I will not. You can write it in the comment section if you need to, but I will not allow. Understand that word, allow. That means you have choice. I will not allow disappointment to derail my desires, my dreams, or my destiny say this with me. I will not allow disappointments to derail my desires, my dreams, or my destiny. I'm telling you, that's got to be your mantra this morning. That has to be the place. And I don't know what you've experienced, but I know that there are some of you out there who are going through some things. Maybe you lost a loved one, a parent, a child, a friend, a coworker, Maybe you're experiencing some disappointment. Maybe you didn't get the job that you applied for. Maybe they told you that that, that you were overqualified. Maybe they told you that maybe you lost the job. Right. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe 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 you've been uh, trying to go back to school and you just found out that they, they, they said, no, you can't go back to school right now, even though, you know, God told you to. Listen, disappointments happen, but you cannot allow those disappointments to derail you. They cannot derail your desires. They cannot derail your dreams and it cannot derail your destiny, okay? Now, again, for those who are religious purists, for those who will listen to this message now or in the future, let me begin by parenthetically inserting this statement. We're gonna define disappointment, but before we define it, let me say this. You do not find, you do not, I'm saying you do not, You do not find the word disappointment in the Bible, okay? There's no word for disappointment in the Bible. There's no strong concordance word that talks about disappointment, okay? But what you do find in the Bible is the word expectation or expectations, okay? Disappointment, hear me, is the fruit of failed expectations. So while we don't see the word disappointment in the Bible, and while it does not appear, the emotion, the powerful emotion of disappointment absolutely is there. So let's define the word disappointment so that we're all on the same page, okay? Let's define the word disappointment so that we're all working from the same concept. What is disappointment? Disappointment is the feeling Notice it's a feeling. If it's a feeling, it's an emotion. If it's an emotion, it means it's fickle. If it's fickle, it means it's temporary. If it's temporary, it means we can control it. So it says disappointment is the feeling or the emotion of dissatisfaction. Okay, And that dissatisfaction comes or it follows anytime we experience a failure or a perceived failure. A perceived failure or a failure of what? Of some expectation or of some hope that we had would manifest. Let's say you apply for a job. You interview for the job. You do the you do the informal phone conversation. You do the formal interview uh, with HR. You do the formal presentation with the HR manager. You do the next interview with the entire team. They tell you they love you. They have you then come back and do a performance review. You do the performance review exercise. They tell you it was great. They love it. The next time you hear from them, they tell you that they loved you, but they decided to go with another candidate. You didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. That will breed disappointment. But if you allow that disappointment to fester like a sore in your life, it will not just impact the fact you didn't get that job going to impact the fact that you won't get any job, or you won't get a job that you are worthy of, or you won't get a person that you're worthy of, or you won't get a career advancement, or you won't start the business, or you won't do the next thing that you're supposed to do. Why? Because you're allowing a dissatisfaction of, of a perceived failure or failure that came against an expectation of, or a hope that you had to manifest to be the defining factor of who you are. And that's why disappointment is so dangerous, because disappointment is like the leaven. A little disappointment won't just stay little in your life. It will rise and it will become a thing in your life in which it will want to take over every area of your life. Now, I'm going to use a scripture this morning. And again, for you religious peers out there, I understand the context of what this scripture was teaching when Paul wrote it. Okay, but I want you to hear me because this is how God gave it to me and I think it'll help you if you'll listen. So let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. I'm gonna read this out of a couple of translations and then I'm gonna to get to my point. So just stay with me, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 in the Contemporary English Version reads like this. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He was writing to the Corinthian church and this was his second letter to them, and he was writing to them about how they treat a repentive brother, a repentive sister in the church. Okay, he wasn't talking about the people who were just wilding out. He said, "But when you have a brother or sister who has who has sinned and they have repented and they have they want to get it right," he was talking to them about this person. And notice what he says. He says, "I will forgive anyone you forgive." He says, yes, for your sake and with Christ as my witness, I have forgiven whatever needed to be forgiven. He then says in verse 11, I have done this. Now, watch this. Paul's talking to them. He saying, here's why I practice forgiveness. Here's why you should do it. He says, I have done this to keep Satan from getting the better of us. We all know. We all know. What goes on in Satan's mind, okay? So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter back to them and, and because they were saying to, they were talking to him when they wrote back to him after his first letter about these people who were sinning and coming back to the church and they wouldn't, they weren't wouldn't treating him as equal and Paul wrote back to them and said, no no, no, you do not treat a repentant brother or sister that way because if you do, they can be overwhelmed by disappointment. They made a mistake. They did something wrong. They missed the mark. They repented and they came back. But now you don't give them the same grace that God has given you. He said, if you do that to them, Satan may get a hold of them. He says, we all know what's in Satan's mind. And that is to let people think that God doesn't love them. Let's look at this in another translation out of the Living Bible. In 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, out of the living Bible, it says, when you forgive anyone, Paul says, I do too. He says, and whatever I have forgiven to the extent that this affected me too, has been by Christ's authority. He says, "I, I, I, I forgive not because I have the power to forgive. I give through Christ's authority. He says, and I do it for who? For your good. He says a further reason for forgiveness. He's still talking about forgiveness here. Stay with me. A further reason for forgiveness is to keep from being what? Outsmarted by Satan. For we know, come on, what he's trying to do. Now, you're familiar with this scripture. You're probably just familiar with it out of the King James Version. Because in the King James Version, uh, in verse 11, he uses these words. He says, "Let Satan... To get an advantage of us. And then this is the part we always quote. For we are not what? Ignorant of what? His devices. We are not ignorant of his devices. Now, these verses uh, that we just read this morning are part of the Apostle Paul's, I said this, second letter to the Corinthian church. In this passage, Paul is emphasizing the importance of being aware and resisting the schemes or the tactics of Satan. I am telling you, we have got to be wise enough to understand what the enemy's trying to do with this emotion called disappointment. Now, the context of this verse, I understand completely, is about forgiveness and about reconciliation within the Christian community. The apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to forgive and to comfort a repentant member so that that person isn't overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. This verse highlights the belief that Satan could exploit and is always looking to exploit unforgiveness and division within the church. Now, as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit said to me to go back and look at this word that shows up in the King James Version that says, his devices. And I had to ask myself, what are Satan's devices? Because if the Bible says don't be ignorant of them, then I must know what they are in order to overcome them. So the phrase his devices suggests a wide range of strategies and tactics that Satan must use to lead people away from their faith. And it was at that moment that I was like, ah, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. These tactics are often stood as manipulations that exploit our human existence, our human weakness, and our emotions. Satan is looking for an emotion that is so powerful and so overwhelming to you that you will be willing to give in to the emotion and believe it more than God. And that is exactly what disappointment does. And so while the apostle Paul focused on the tactic of unforgiveness when he wrote to the Corinthian church this morning as your apostle, I want to focus on the tactic of disappointment because disappointment is is, is disillusionment to an unfulfilled expectation. And so I want us to learn how to effectively deal with this so Satan won't have an advantage over us. Amen. So let's talk about this. I want to talk about it in in light of the challenge and the reality of disappointment. The challenge and the reality of disappointment. Hear me when I say this. Disappointment is a powerful emotion. It can lead to doubt. It can lead to despair and a sense of abandonment. The feelings of, 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 of disappointment create a fertile ground for further negative thought and emotion to be birthed, to grow, and to Fester in our lives, which if we're not careful, will end up shaking our faith. Disappointment is an inevitable part of our hearing human experience. In fact, I haven't had you to type a lot in the comment section, but go ahead and type this. Say disappointment is part of the human experience. It is. If you can find me a person who has never been disappointed and they are over the age of five, listen, find them, find them, find them. Because disappointment. how do I know? The Bible says in Job that man is born of a few days and then what? Full of troubles. So disappointment is a part of life. And disappointment's impact can be profoundly destructive. Hear me when I say this, profoundly destructive if it's not managed properly. Disappointment starts as frustration from an unmet need or expectation. And if checked, it can lead to a cycle of negative expectations, discouragement, and despair. I can't tell you the number of people who have walked away from, from the Lord. They walked away from church. They walked away from the community. Why? Because they were disappointed. I can't tell you the number of people. Literally, I know people who have, who have been involved in church, was praying and believing God to, to heal a family member. And then because they don't see that family member healed in the way they wanted, they don't see them healed on this side of heaven, then they literally get so disappointed and disillusioned, they walk away from God. I've seen people lose boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, and they get so disillusioned because of the disappointment of the broken relationship, they walk away from God. I've seen people who have been, who didn't get the money they expected to get when they expected to get it when they when they had an expectation not even that God said it <laughs> not even that God said it but they had a, a, an expectation that they were going to have something at a particular time. And when it didn't show up, they did not manage that disappointment. And that disappointment became disillusionment. It became another negative experience. It became the catalyst for more disappointment. And then they ended up in despair and walked away from God. But it will not be so for us. I declare in the name of Jesus, I will not allow disappointment to derail my desires, my dreams, or my destiny. You've got to get that in your heart so that when disappointment comes up, it's the thing that rises up out of you. Not, Not being overwhelmed by the disappointment because disappointment, I guarantee you will come. Now, disappointment can stem from a variety of sources. As I said, it comes from unmet expectations, it can come from personal failures, unforeseen circumstances, it can even come from additional factors like relationship conflicts, professional setbacks, health issues and money challenges. There is a multitude of ways in which, hear me, there's a multitude of ways in which disappointment can come. And oftentimes, if it's not managed well, disappointment will spiral into feelings of dejection. It will spiral into feelings of hopelessness. And if it's left unchecked, it will grow into bitterness, a loss of trust, and a weakening of your faith. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what the enemy wants to happen. It is one of his tactics. And so I'm going to teach this message and I'm going to teach it a couple of different times in a couple of different ways, because if I can teach you to grow up and manage effectively the disappointment that I know life is going to life at you, I am telling you your rebound season is going to be quicker and better than before. We said this was a season of rebound and what? Recovery. If this is a season of rebound and recovery, you can't rebound and recover while you're feeling dejected. You can't rebound and recover while you're feeling hopeless. You can't rebound and recover if you are feeling bitter, if you have a loss of trust, and if you are feeling weak in your faith. You cannot be weak in your faith. Now, in the spiritual context, this cycle can be seen as the enemy's strategy to undermine our faith and our hope in God and his promises to us. However, the Bible offers us a profound and proliferating perspective on how to handle these moments of disappointment through faith in God's word. So the message this morning aims to walk us through understanding the nature of disappointment and how through the power of expectation rooted in God's promises, because your expectation can't just be something you make up. The Bible says this in Isaiah 60, it says, my expectation comes from him alone. So if my expectation is coming from someplace other than God, I am setting myself up for ultimate disappointment. Because if if my expectation comes from somewhere else, I have to make it come to pass. But God says that when he gives us an expectation and we receive his expectation, it says his word, which is his expectation, won't come back to him void. And if his word won't come back to him void, that means his word is going to produce what he sends it out to produce. If his word is going to produce what he sends it out to produce, how can I be disappointed in a promise that cannot fail? Are you listening to me this morning? And that's how you've got to begin to preach this to yourself. When I get off this broadcast, when when, when, when you're at home, when things come your way, you have to have this word tucked deep into your heart so that it will come up out of your mouth so that it can manifest in your life. Amen? Now, in order to do this, we must have an awareness and a vigilance against Satan's schemes. We have to know what that joker is up to. The Bible says we know what he want to do, but the question is, do we? Do we really know what Satan's up to or are we oblivious? Because if you're oblivious, I'm telling you, he's going to whoop your behind every time. He, the Bible says you must be aware of his schemes and his tactics, lest he gain, gain an advantage of you. We must remain keenly aware that Satan is always looking for ways that he can exploit moments of emotional vulnerability in our lives. Oh, glory to God. Can I? Th- that's why you can't be such an emotional creature. That's the reason why, when God tells you something and you do exactly what God says, but it doesn't work out the way you expect it, it's why you can't fall apart. It's why you can't be so doggone emotional. Why? Because the enemy wants to use your emotional vulnerability, your human existence, in order to run one shot all over you because he knows that your emotions is a way to your heart. He's looking to exploit those moments. And I'm not saying that you won't have a moment of despair. I'm not saying you won't have a moment of disillusionment, but it can't become your permanent address. It can't be the place you receive your mail. When we go on vacation, when I travel with the tribe, sometimes we will order stuff from Walmart or Kroger or Target and we'll have it sent to the vacation home we're going to. But you know what we don't do in the Walmart, Kroger, or Target app? We don't leave that vacation home as our permanent address. Why? Because we're having something sent there temporarily. It's not where we live. Stop having despair and disillusionment sent to your permanent address. The enemy wants to use it and set up shop. He wants to build a stronghold in your life so that you will be so overwhelmed with disappointment that you won't be able to move forward. This there's a story. I'm gonna share it right now. You don't you don't even have to uh, pull it up if, if you don't have it. But but there's a story, and this happens. We see this with with the Syrophoenician woman. If you go to Matthew, and you can just write this down and read it later. But if you read Matthew chapter 15, uh, starting around verse 22 through verse 28, there's a story there that illustrates this point and how. how the enemy wants to do us in the same way that what was happening with this Seraphonician woman. In verse 22, it reads like this. It says, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast, which means she was a Seraphonician woman. She cried unto him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter, watch this, is grievously vexed with the devil. Verse 23 says, but Jesus didn't even answer her. He answered her not a word. And then his disciples jumped in and they came to him and they said to him, Lord, send her away, for she crieth after us. He's like, look, we're here for the Jews. This Sarah Phoenician woman, we ain't got no business even dealing with her. Just send her away. And then in verse 24, the Lord finally answered her and said, I'm not even sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he says, "I I wasn't sent for you. I was sent for the house of Israel. I was sent for the Jews. And then in verse 25, she responds uh, and it says she came and she worshipped him. See, the thing you need to learn to do when you receive a word that is a, that's disappointing, <laughs> you need to learn to worship God. You can learn a lot from this woman. What she did, she got a word that says what you need ain't for you. It ain't time for you. She didn't throw up her hand. She didn't cry in despair. She didn't say, woe is me. Notice what she did. The Bible says she came and she worshiped him, saying to him, Lord, help me. When you are in times of disappointment, times of disillusionment and despair, you don't need to be calling your friends all the time. You need Sometimes you, you need to do what David had to do and encourage yourself in the Lord. She said, Lord, help me. Now watch this, because you're talking about disappointment. Verse 26, it says, but he answered her and said, now this gets tough. It is not meat, or it is not right, or it is not even doable for me to take the children's bread. He referred to the Jews as his children. He said, and to cast it to dogs. He referred to her in the category of being like dogs. He says no father would take food from his children so that his children would go hungry and give it to the dogs so that they could eat. Now you talk about disappointment right there. Some of y'all would have went off on Jesus. You'd have been like, now I don't know who you talking to, but I ain't got too many more times to be no dogs now, Jesus. I mean, you'd have got indignant with your disappointment, but she didn't. She teaches us how to behave. And so what she does is she says, you know what? Verse 27, truth, Lord. She says, yet even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She elevated and she said, you know what? I don't even need the whole loaf of bread. What you have is so powerful that if I could just snatch a crumb that fell off the table, it'd be more than enough for what I need. Jesus hearing this says to her in verse 28, then Jesus answered and said unto her, oh woman, He marveled at her. He says, oh woman, great is thy faith. He said, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. He says, and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, and I've taught this before, but I don't want to miss this this morning. You need to understand in the context of this message what just happened. Even if I don't finish this message today, you need to understand what happened. Here is what happened. A Seraphonician woman who was outside of the time frame of receiving what Jesus had on his life comes to him. She says, I don't come to you for something that I need. My daughter is in trouble. She is grievously vexed with this devil that will not leave her alone. It's tormenting her. The first thing happens is Jesus doesn't even respond. And then his disciples say, send her away. She's bothering us. And then Jesus says to her, listen, it's not even right for me to give you what belongs to my children. He then said, and and then she comes and she worships him. She, She didn't argue with Jesus. She worships him. She puts him in his proper place. And then he says to her, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and to give it to a dog. He he literally insults her. And she says, you know what? Truth." She acknowledges that it would not be right under any circumstance for a father to take from his children and to give to a dog. She acknowledges that, but she also comes back and says, but what you have is so powerful that if I just got a little bit of what you have, It would fix my whole problem. And then what happens is Jesus marvels and he says, oh, woman, how great is your faith? How great is your faith? He says, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt, and her daughter was made whole. What Jesus did is he healed her daughter because he did not allow the tactic of time, to God, to become her disillusionment. It was not her time. She was not supposed to be able to receive the kind of healing for her daughter that she received until after Jesus went to the cross. After Jesus went to the cross, after he died for the whole world, then that healing became available for Jews and Gentiles. But her dis- uh, her, her disappointment did not keep her locked in time. And some of you, the reason, that you haven't seen the manifestation of what God has promised is because you didn't see it when you thought you would and you allowed time to lock you in disappointment. Glory to God. You allow time to lock you into disillusionment. You allow time to lock you into despair. Some of you have even changed your dreams and your destiny because disappointment told you what God had for you couldn't really come to pass because if it would come to pass, it had came to pass five years ago. You would have got married 10 years ago. You'd have found Mr. Right or Miss Right seven years ago. You would have got the right job. You would have lived in the right city by now. But here you are 40 years old, 45 years old, 50 years old. If it was really right for you to finish school, you'd have finished school 10 years ago. But because you allow time to lock you into disappointment, because you allow time to lock you into disillusionment, it has weakened your faith. But she did not allow time to weaken her faith faith. She worshiped God when she got the news that disappointed her. She worshiped God when God said, this ain't this ain't your thing yet. She worshiped God and acknowledged his truth when he said, listen, you are a dog and you're not my children and it's not for you. But her faith pushed her pastime into a dispensation where Jesus saw her faith. Would you let Jesus see your faith? Will you let Jesus see your faith this morning? Will you let Jesus see your faith rather than your faith having to always be secondary to your disappointment? Listen, I'm telling you, you cannot allow disappointment to become your disillusionment foundation. Let's go to point number two. We got to understand disappointment through scripture. We have to understand disappointment through scripture. Now, I'm not going to read all this, but the Bible doesn't shy away from teaching about disappointment. You all know the story of Joseph who faced betrayal from his brothers and imprisonment from crimes that he didn't even commit. Just read Genesis 37 through 50. Read those chapters. You will see how Joseph was treated. He had multiple opportunities in which he faced disappointment. Or heck, we think about Job. Job was the one who said man is born of a woman in a few days and full of trouble. Look at what Job lost. Job lost his livestock. He lost his servant. He lost his children. Job even lost his health. These stories, among countless others, illustrate for us that disappointment is a part of life. Yet, disappointment is not the end of life. Disappointment is a complex emotional state that occurs when there's a gap or non-alignment between our expectations and reality. It's often tied to our hopes, our goals, our dreams, our desires not being fulfilled as anticipated. I am telling you that this emotion can range from mild in the case of some minor letdowns or to intense uh, in situations that involve significant unmet expectations. Listen, disappointment can be triggering. Go ahead and type that in the comment section. Disappointments can be triggering. I know it can. I know it can. It can be triggering. And if it is triggering, you have to know what your trigger is. You have to know what events can possibly trigger you that cause you to get into a place of disappointment that you're not easily, quickly to get out of. Things such as personal setbacks, professional disappointments, heck, even the actions of others. Have you ever trusted somebody who you thought had your back because you certainly had theirs and then come to find out not only did they not have your back, they was exposing your back to other people to stab you in the back. Has anybody ever been there before? If you've been there before, put a three in the comment section. If you've ever had somebody who you thought was down for you only to find out they wasn't down for you, not only was it not down for you, they were, they were out there working with other folk who didn't have your back and wanted to see your damn fall. I've been there before. That is a disappointment that is that is that is very triggering. But you have to learn to understand that just like folk cannot have your back. God always does. And if God always has your back, then greater is he that is in you and greater is he that is for you than anybody who is against you. And so you have to know that. Disappointment is the emotional response to unmet hopes and desires. The enemy wants to use disappointment to sow seeds of doubt, fear, unbelief, and negativity into our hearts. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do with disappointment. It serves literally as his vehicle to try to carry us away from God's promises. (laughs) The enemy wants to use disappointment like a self-driving vehicle. What do I mean? In a self-driving vehicle, you can just get on the passenger side and it'll just take you where you want to go. The enemy didn't want you to have any resistance to disappointment. He wants you to allow that disappointment to overflood your life. He wants it to overwhelm your thinking. He wants it to overwhelm you physiologically, emotionally, psychologically. He wants it to overwhelm you. He just wants you to get in the self-driving vehicle of disappointment so that he can take you to the address of despair, so that he can take you to a place where you forfeit your dreams. So he can take you to a place where you no longer even have any desires anymore. He just wants you to get in that. And that's what disappointment is. It's a self-driving vehicle that takes you away from your destiny. That is the enemy strategy. But the Bible says that God has made it available for us that even in the midst of disappointment, we can be anchored. Look at Hebrews. Chapter six, verse 19. It says, we have this hope. What hope? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now I put it I put in, in, in quotations that were this hope. It doesn't appear like that in the Bible, but I wanted to illustrate it for you because it says we have this hope. Have you ever asked what the hope is? Because I think sometimes we read our Bible and we don't take the time to, to pause and ask the right questions. In Hebrews, he says, we have this hope. What is this hope? This hope refers to the promises of God as prescribed in the preceding verses. If you read in the preceding verses, you will see that, 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 that this hope we have is a hope that God swore by himself. God says, if I make this promise, I swear by God, the promise I made you will come to pass. What is the hope we have? That God would cease from being God if the promise was broken. Glory to God we talked at the huddle about this covenant. God says, I've made a covenant with day and night. He said, if you can break my covenant with day and if you can break my covenant with night, Jeremiah 33, he says, then I will cease from being God. So I, I get it that disappointment comes, but it should only be a quick human emotion. Then faith needs to kick in. And faith, you kick in and say, wait a minute, while I'm disappointed, the same God who made the promise when I believe the expectation is the same God who's there still holding up that expectation.